This is Live Wired in Calgary. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for joining me once again this month. I'm Darren Krause, editor at LiveWire Calgary. You can find us at livewirecalgary.com. This show, Live Wired in Calgary, is broadcast in partnership with CJSW 90.9 FM, and it's recorded here in studio at the University of Calgary on traditional Treaty 7 land. It's been an atypical summer so far. You've maybe heard in the news business uh, the the term dog days of summer. Well, the news cycle has been anything but. It's been brimming with goodies this summer. And as I was driving into the studio to record this morning, thinking I've got some really great stuff on the green line this month, up pops a radio news report that a potential deal has been struck on the Calgary Event Centre. So you might be hearing about that a little bit more on Monday. Uh, so, you know, keep your ears tuned in to uh, news broadcasts and you'll find a little bit more about what's happening on a potential new arena. And if you rewind even further, as I was teeing up some of these subservice reviews being done by the City of Calgary... The actual list of budget cuts that they'll be doing to help offset the business tax relief package that they did, some of those came through. And we're going to talk a little bit about both later on in the show. This month, we are also going to catch up uh, with City of Calgary Transportation GM Michael Thompson to talk about the Green Line. Uh, And also, we'll be talking with Mount Royal political scientist Dwayne Bratt about some of the Alberta legislature dealings, including more fines against former UCP leadership candidate Jeff Calloway. All that and on your radar, so stick around. Check out Livewire Calgary on social media, on Twitter at Livewire Calgary, on Instagram at Livewire underscore Calgary, and like us on Facebook. In the agenda for today's council meeting, a list of 48 areas that would see budget cuts was released. Now, if you recall, in June, City Council approved a business tax relief package that required them to find $60 million in budget cuts to go along with $70.9 million that will be pulled from the city's fiscal stability reserve. And now this was all put together, of course, in order to help city businesses uh, bridge that, that tax shift that's been going on in the downtown core. So administration had to present those options today. And while there are cuts across the board, some departments were hit much harder than others. Uh, Just to give you a little bit of context in this, uh, in the City of Calgary's draft report, they did state that, you know, basically what they did was they took the areas that cost them the most money and those areas uh, reasonably took the biggest cut. So... Here's what it was for some of those areas. Uh, Transit, actually, if you look at it overall, took the biggest cut at about $9.3 million. Fire Department took a cut of $7.625 million. And the Calgary Police Service is looking at a $7 million cut. Now, those are the big three. Uh, Those are the big three expenditures in the city. But we've got some other areas as well. Corporate programs taking a $6.253 million hit. We've got uh, streets, 
streets are taking a $4.97 million hit. Not sure what that means in terms of the future, whether that's the Main Streets program, whether that's boulevards, whether that's any kind of maintenance in that area. Uh, not, not sure if it actually means snow clearing for the upcoming winter. Uh, these are all things that I'm sure will be discussed at today's council meeting. So one of the things that isn't clear here, uh, though the administration, again, in their report did state that uh, Calgarians would notice these on on the front lines, they would notice the front line service disruptions. Uh, They also did mention that there would be uh, some staffing, uh, like it would have some effect on staffing at the city. Uh, But what it doesn't make clear, uh, now there are three parts of this report that are being held as confidential. There may be more information in there. I don't know one way or the other. But one of the things that counselors have been uh, looking at is is wage rollbacks or just overall staff cuts. Um, I know that I mentioned it in last show in reference to the golf courses and how much we are paying golf course uh, staff to to do you know maintenance on the golf courses and that sort of thing. Now I guess again what this doesn't tell us is is there going to be any sort of a wage rollback or do these numbers include any sort of a wage rollback. That's really something that I think uh, many Calgarians are looking at. They don't necessarily want their frontline services cut. If we can save this money through rolling back wages, then perhaps we wouldn't have to see streets not plowed for snow. Um, We would be able to still have, you know, regular boulevard maintenance and that sort of thing. So uh, I guess... One of the things uh, I will preempt my on your radar is just keep that on your radar. You know, keep it, keep it, you know, front and center in the news. Uh, We're going to be finding out more about how these cuts are going to impact people in the city. uh, And uh, we'll see how everything rolls out. Green Line is a hot topic right now as the city looks at pausing the work that's been done up to this point to revisit what's being done in the downtown portion of the project. Of course, that's the portion that they had decided to put underground underneath the Bow River. uh, And it looks as though it's going to cost a little bit more money than what they had anticipated. Just to bring you up to speed really quick, uh, the $4.9 billion project, they were a little bit worried that it was going to go over budget. In the story that we did last week, The GM of transportation, Michael Thompson, told me that in all of the risk analysis models that they had done, uh, they were looking at a $300 to $500 million overage on the project. And that kind of forced them to say, hey, maybe we should revisit this. The contracts have been split into two now for that first phase of the Green Line LRT. So it's a portion that goes from basically the Elbow River down to the 126th Avenue in the southeast. And there's the portion that goes northward up towards 16th Avenue. And that downtown section in the middle is what's at question. So... I had the opportunity to speak with GM Thompson about the Green Line project and some of the other options that they might be looking at in order to find, uh, I guess, a more reasonable cost for the Green Line. So uh, 
if we can, let's talk about some of the options aside from going underground. Obviously, we've got like an at grade with with uh, a bridge over the Bow River, and also we've got uh, an elevated version. I'm guessing, though I am no uh, engineer, that all of these come with a certain level of risk. Um, but these are also projects that you're um, infinitely more experienced in handling because we already have examples of them here in the city, both the regular line, but also with the West line as well. Do you think that, that going those routes does mitigate some of that risk level? Um, yeah, I believe that as we look at things like uh, a cut and cover through the downtown to have a shallower um, underground uh, component of the system. Those are things we've done before. If you look at the red line right now, as I sit, look at it out of my window from the stampede uh, grounds, it goes underground uh, underneath the CP tracks uh, behind City Hall and uh, pops up underneath the new central library. That's a cut and cover uh, construction that was done uh, back in the late 70s. Uh, so we know how to do that. We had the same kind of thing on West uh, LRT extension at the Westbrook uh, station. So we know how to do that. Uh, we've got experience in doing that. Um, elevated sections on the contract one, we have a segment of eleva elevated section. Um, we've done stuff like that before. Again, you can look to the West LRT where we've got that elevated section. And then we've got at-grade sections that are uh, either running in their own right-of-way, um, like the south, the northwest, northeast, and west LRT, or running in-street. Um, and in-street, we've got examples like 7th Avenue in Calgary. So really, the piece we don't have an example of in Calgary would be that tunnel boring machine approach. That's what we have been looking at, and that's where we're seeing more and more risks, and uh, that's why we want to step back and go and talk to Calgarians about that. So I think we are um, tried and true in all those other construction techniques. We understand them. They all come with risks. So everything has a risk uh, when we're doing it in construction, but uh, we've been spending time working to understand those risks, and we'll spend more time working to understand the risks as we go forward. That's part of a infrastructure project. We're always looking at what the risks are. I guess the one piece is, as I would say, uh, sort of Seventh Avenue right now that we understand how to build a at grade system through the downtown. The low floor LRT that we're looking at is different than the Seventh Avenue system, and so uh, we're looking at a different vehicle. Uh, the door height is about a foot um, higher uh, than the ground uh, for the low floor compared to the system that we have right now, um, which is the high floor LRT system, and so really. Again, where it is running uh, integrated more into communities, it'll be a lot more integrated in, and we want to ensure that the planning and design work we do around those stations and around that right-of-way um, is making sure that it is planned to be integrated uh, and that we're doing that well. Right. So have you run any of these other models uh, or, or any of these other options through that, that Monte Carlo risk assessment um, and, and if so, have any of them spit out numbers that maybe come in a little bit under the budget? Yeah, we've, we've looked at a high level at scenarios, um, and uh, that's really what we want to go and start having the conversation with Calgarians. So we've looked at it years ago um, and some different options. Um, we haven't done as, uh, as in-depth risk analysis as we have on these other, um, on the twin bore and single bore. 
Uh, and so that's really we want to go back, talk to Calgarians, the communities about what these are, spend the next few months um, reviewing those details and those risks uh, with them. We don't need to, uh, it's not like we're starting uh, from scratch here. We've gone and we've talked to Calgarians. We understand what their concerns are. We understand the geotech in the downtown. We understand where the utilities are, the traffic volumes, etc. And point it together to say, uh, how can we repackage this um, and uh, realign some of these pieces to really make sure that we're hitting on that vision we had established originally? So, I guess the other question that I would uh, I would ask you is, um, you know, with this kind of I guess push for maybe a, a, a pause, the delay, whatever, however you want to to phrase it, um, also has come up potentially different routing, whether that's people talking about, um, you know, putting it on, uh, putting it along the, the Deerfoot Trail alignment, or, or even, you know, shelving parts of the, uh, the southeast route and revisiting whether or not we should be looking at this going northward even more as opposed to just stopping at 16th Avenue. Is any of that part of what we're doing right now, or are we just looking at ways to take this established route and fine-tune it a little bit more? Yeah, so the direction we're going with right now is still the council-approved direction of looking at stage one alignment, which is from 16th Ave in the north to 126th Ave in the south. And your piece is bang on. It's really just looking at uh, some tweaks to that uh, to ensure that we're delivering it, meeting the vision we had established and doing it while being fiscally responsible um, and ensuring that uh, to the best of ability we can right now, we're de-risking the project. We've looked at a lot of other alignments over the years. We've got reports going back to council from a number of years ago, looking at different alignments and different options and through a process that we've worked um, with uh, tens of thousands of Calgarians, um, we came up with the option that we have right now. And uh, so we're committed to delivering uh, that option and uh, doing it while being financially responsible. Some of the uh, some of the talk around the northern version is uh, in, re- in regards to ridership, and there would be significantly more ridership in the north. Do you anticipate that through this process, or, or maybe a better way to put it, Michael, is are you prepared, should council provide different direction to re-examine potential alignment options in order to meet the allotted budget? Yeah, we always take our direction from council, and so um, whatever direction council would like to uh, um, give, we're happy to take. Uh, I would step back and say that the stage one alignment we've developed right now, um, on opening day, we're projecting 60 to 65,000 riders. I look at something like the West LRT, um, when it opened, we had a projection of uh, just over 30,000 riders a day. And so the stage one projects that we're proposing, 20 kilometers, um, 126th Ave to 16th Ave, um, it has really good ridership. Um, It is a really sound and strong project for day one. It sets us up from an expandability perspective to be able to go north uh, down the Centre Street uh, corridor uh, and to go down south, um, down the approved alignment uh, uh, going down to Seton. And so we think stage one, we're still very strong on the alignment. 
We had uh, worked with Calgarians to establish, worked with council to approve. We think it has strong ridership, and we think that it's a really uh, a good project to move forward with. There's always been um, interesting discussions about ridership in the south and ridership in the north. The reality is, is both have really strong uh, desire lines for transit uh, ridership uh, into the downtown. And uh, not only into the downtown, but connecting the services and the places along uh, the route. And so when we did this, we weren't just looking at sort of a line haul into downtown. We were really looking at connecting communities, um, community amenities, and bringing people together um, to the places uh, where they wanted to go. All right, it's time for On Your Radar. We are halfway through a very busy summer on the heels of the Calgary Stampede. And, of course, this weekend we do have the Calgary Folk Music Festival going on. Uh, But there's a lot of other things running into August. Uh, We'll give you a rundown right here. From July 29th to August 4th, we have the Calgary International Blues Festival at Shaw Millennium Park. And from what I can see, tickets are a very reasonable $25 each. August 3rd is the Inglewood Sunfest. Uh, there's a fun fact to go along here. The first year the Sunfest went ahead, I was a quote-unquote celebrity chocolate pie eater along with then-mayoral candidate Nahed Nenshi. That event goes from 11 till 6 on August 3rd. Now, do you like food? Because Taste of Calgary goes from August 8th to 11th at Eau Claire Market. Mm, there's always something good to eat down there. Also, Now, moving forward into partway through the month, August 16th to 18th is the legendary Country Thunder Music Festival. That's at Prairie Winds Park in Castle Ridge. On August 17th, we've got a pair of cultural events with Carafest Calgary at Shaw Millennium Park and Chinatown Street Festival on 3rd Avenue Southeast. Both of those run from 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. And when all of that is said and done, it's going to be time to get the kids ready for school. This year, the Calgary Board of Education's first day of school starts on August 15th for those on the modified calendar and September 3rd for those on the standard calendar. For Calgary Catholic students, school will start on September 3rd. To finish up this month's program, I wanted to touch a little bit on the goings-on in Alberta politics particularly with more revelations and fines stemming from the 2017 United Conservative Party leadership race. Last week, former UCP leadership contestant Jeff Calloway was hit with $70,000 in fines for breaking provincial fundraising rules. Calloway was fined for primarily accepting prohibited contributions and giving money to third parties who donated it back to his campaign, according to officials. Callaway was one of three candidates who were after the UCP's top job, with, of course, Jason Kenney and Brian Jean being the others. Now, documents have come forward showing that Callaway and Kenney, uh, their teams, were working together to kind of tank Brian Jean's campaign. And uh, he's now being uh, referred to as the kamikaze candidate. Joining me now is Lori Williams, Associate Professor at Mount Royal University, here to talk about some of the things that are going on at the Alberta Legislature right now. I I guess maybe pre-Alberta Legislature, as it's uh, most recently the incident uh, involving Jeff Calloway and more fines. Lori, thank you so much for joining me. Well, it's my pleasure to be with you, Darren. So... 
we have this situation where Jeff Calloway, uh, former UCP leadership candidate, has been fined once again in relation to the UCP leadership uh, situation from way back. At what point, Lori, do we do we get to where this actually has an impact on Jason Kenney and the UCP, or will it? Well, it's raising very serious questions. We already know, um, according to the testimony of uh, some people that were involved in the in the plan to uh, put forward a, a kamikaze candidate, as it's being called, candidate who. Uh, was persuaded to run for office, presumably refused, received funding to run for office, only to criticize Brian Jean and to drop out of the race in order for Jason Kenney to um, have a better chance of winning. So the problem is that Jeff Calloway, there's evidence been found um, that Jeff Calloway actually did get funds from somewhere else um, and then uh, illegally donated it to uh, his own campaign. Direct link is to Jeff Calloway, not to Jason Kenney in terms of where the money came from or went. But if that money that's been identified can be traced to somebody who was authorized by Jason Kenney to, to provide that money, then that becomes a much bigger problem for Jason Kenney. It's already a big problem for Jason Kenney, but uh, if a direct link either here or in terms of the email fraud, and he's dismissing the email fraud as uh, you know, rogue underlings who um, were over-enthusiastic in their support. Um, if a clear, clearer connection can be made to the party or to Jason Kenney, then that's problematic for the party and for Jason Kenney. I think we need to remember that Jason Kenney, according to polling, was less popular than the UCP party during the, the election campaign. So I think he's much more vulnerable as a leader to the kinds of questions that are swirling around him than somebody, let's say, like Ralph Klein, who was personally very popular. Right. So, Laurie, now the thing is, I mean, we've seen it not just in Alberta politics, but we also see it in in U.S. politics and even Canadian federal politics where, you know, some of the leaders, some of the big players can go through these sorts of these sorts of, I, I guess, for lack of a better way to put it, scandals. And yet still, you know, there's that whole Teflon thing where where nothing seems to stick. Do you think we're going to end up in that same sort of situation here with Jason Kenney? Maybe. I mean, if there's no direct connection or more direct connection drawn to Jason Kenney than currently is the case, um, then um, then it may be possible for him to, to escape uh, the problems associated with this. And people knew the investigation was underway. They knew some of these allegations during the election campaign, and um, the majority of Albertans voted for the UCP. Uh, so it is a possibility, but it it raises very serious questions, and in combination with other questions about the leadership of, of Jason Kenney could be very damaging. Again, if it's connected closely to the party, again, that whole idea of corruption and entitlement that led to the downfall of the progressive conservatives leading into the 2015 election, all of that could come up again and damage the party as well. And then you've got to remember also that a number of people who supported Brian Jean, who went to the UCP party because they didn't like this kind of uh, of uh, maneuvering these kinds of political tactics, these undemocratic activities, those folks might be looking for a new political home as well. So the fallout, the closer it gets to the party um, and to party leadership and to Jason Kenney, the, the more problematic it's going to be for the party and for Jason Kenney uh, going forward. 
So we've now been with the UCP government for, I, I guess, nearly three months, maybe maybe just a little bit more. So far, they've done pretty much what they had set out to do, which which looks to a lot of people like they've been just undoing the work of the previous NDP government. Is that kind of the way that you've seen the first few months of the UCP government here in Alberta? Certainly, they've they followed through on some of their, their promises. Some people voted for the UCP because they supported some policies and not others. And there are questions being raised about some of those policy directions and so forth. But the big test is going to be whether the promises bear fruit. Do they yield uh, a healthier economy? Do they improve employment prospects in Alberta? And if that happens, then they can claim success and have a much better chance of going into the next election. If they aren't successful, then it's a much tougher proposition going into the next election, as we saw with Rachel Notley and as we've seen with governments across the country in countless elections. Right. So now we've got some recent situations here. Probably the most recent is Jason Luan and making the comment, which was subsequently removed, I believe, from social media uh, regarding big pharma being involved in the uh, in the proliferation of supervised consumption sites. Again, you know, you know, we're we're past the Jason Kenney conversation here now, but on to another thing. Do you anticipate that we'll continue to see more and more of this kind of thing that that maybe feeds their base as opposed to being, I guess, substantiated by by evidence? Right. Well, that, that's a very important question. So if if the party is seen as being driven more by ideology than by evidence, then their policies or their decisions are much more difficult to defend. So, again, I think some of these ideas these policies, these initiatives are going to appeal to a certain segment of the Alberta population. But as um, disagreement with this or that policy builds up, there may be more and more people that are opposed or at least raising questions about the government and interested in uh, replacing it in the next election. So, I mean, we know that in Alberta, for a very, we, we have had a history of tending to support parties thick and thin for long periods of time. Um, it's, it's entirely possible that things have changed profoundly since, uh, since 2015, or even in the, in the weeks and months and even years leading up to 2015, um, that Albertans are going to hold governments to account uh, much more strongly than they, they have historically. And if that's the case, uh, any kind of decision that is controversial and doesn't have a good, solid foundation and support um, could be another thing that gives people a reason to vote for somebody besides the UCP in the next election. They've got, to, they've got to try their best to defend their policies, um, Alberta's interests, and, and appeal to a broad range of Albertans, not just those who ideologically agree with them. So still yet to come is the McKinnon report, and obviously uh, they are going to put together a budget for this fall. Is there anything that you anticipate that? I mean, we're already seeing it at the, at the municipal level here in Calgary, um, you know, a little bit of austerity. Do you fully expect uh, a budget that is austerity-driven? There's no question that they're going to have to try to bring spending into line. There's tons of pressure for that, and they've got promises indicating they're going to try to do that. They also promised to invest in things like healthcare and education. Um, and so, again, they're going to have to both justify the policy decisions that they make and they're going to have to um, yield results. And if they don't yield those results, it all, it all comes down to that. If they don't get results uh, from these policies, 
if the economy doesn't improve, if uh, job growth doesn't happen, and they've got a number of policy decisions that are unpopular, it makes it much more difficult to win the next election. Thank you so much for joining me today, Lori. Uh, I appreciate your commentary as always. Well, thank you very much. That wraps up another month here at Live Wired in Calgary. Thank you so much for joining me. It has been a busy summer so far. Hopefully you'll get the chance for some rest and relaxation. I know I'm headed out of town for a bit to recharge the batteries before we get back at it for August's edition of Live Wired in Calgary. You can check us out at livewirecalgary.com for community-focused content that's a little bit off the beaten path. Now, from time to time, we will tackle some of the big topics, like the Green Line, just in a way that's a little bit different than some of the other guys. I want to thank City of Calgary Transportation GM Michael Thompson for sitting down to talk Green Line, and to Lori Williams, MRU Associate Professor, to have a good chat about Alberta politics. In the meantime, keep your eyes and ears out for news on Calgary budget cuts, the Green Line, and potentially a new Calgary arena deal. Enjoy the rest of your summer, and we'll catch you in a month. So long.